Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. We finished the book of Mark. Uh, we're going to continue verse by verse uh, through Luke now, beginning in Luke. All right, you guys ready? I feel like I got to pray again. I don't know. Can't pray enough, can we? Let's just pray. Let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you again. I do ask, Lord, that you would, you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, and uh, that you would just be here, open up our ears to hear your word, uh, that we might minister to you as we learn your word, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Luke, the physician, right, is giving us this narrative account. Uh, he wrote this narrative account, and this guy, Luke, he's, he could be a Greek, and if that's the case, he will be the only non-Jew uh, to write a book in the entire New Testament. So this is very interesting uh, type of book. Luke is, well, if you look at the life of Paul and the ministry he was in, Luke seems to be with Paul on all of his journeys, basically. He was one of his companions as well. Uh, but let's just dive into Luke. If you guys are there, Luke chapter 1, look at verse 1. It says, In as much as many, so lots of people, uh, have taken it in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled or believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. And it seemed good to me, Luke, right, also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty, right, the firm concrete, right, the, the firmness here, of those things in which you were instructed. So uh, going back to verse 3, there's this guy, Theophilus, right, that he's writing this to, and that guy's name means lover of God. What a cool name, right? The lover of God, that's pretty neat. Um, but verse 3 says, most excellent Theophilus. Do you guys catch that? Uh, so he could be someone with a great standing, possibly, uh, in the Roman Empire, right, where, um, well, who said that? Was it Paul? He said, most excellent, um, oh, I blanked out already, but when they addressed those Roman guys, right, it was most excellent, you know. Um, so uh, he could be one of those main guys, but Luke might even be his doctor, if that's the case. So not only did Luke write this gospel account, right, the beginning of what happened, uh, the ministry of Christ, but also he wrote the beginning, he wrote, wrote Luke, or I'm sorry, Acts, the book of Acts, and writing about the early church after the cross as well. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Right. So, But notice Luke, by the way, and, and here in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, he doesn't say, Excellence, Theophilus. Did you guys catch that? So, <clears throat> maybe because now he's a brother in the Lord. Maybe Theophilus is, 
is just like the Lord. And, and Paul said in Galatians 3.28, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter your position here in the world. When you are part of the body of Christ, you become one. So uh, now it's, hey, brother, right? And say, well, you call me doctor, PhD, blah, 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 right? All these big titles of the world. If you're a brother in the Lord, it's all, what's up, bro? <laughs> right? It just, all that is just the worldly stuff, right? We're all now one in the Lord. We have one mindset. We're one body. We're one heart. And, and uh, so praise the Lord for that. But understand, there's only one gospel, by the way, <clears throat> going back to Luke. There's four accounts of this gospel that we have, right? We got the gospel of Matthew, which was written to the Jews, um, and it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah, and which speaks of his royalty. We got the book of Mark, uh, which was written to the Romans, presenting Jesus as a servant, uh, which presents him as really his humility, right, uh, within Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and the Gospel of Luke right here, which is written to the Greeks, which would be fitting because it's possible that he is a Greek, uh, and presenting Jesus as the Son of Man. And you'll see that theme uh, throughout, throughout the book of Luke, and really speaking about his humanity. And then you got the book of, well, the Gospel of John, right, which is really to the whole world, um, presenting Jesus as the Son of God, and speaking of his deity. And so, verses 1 through 4, by the way, did you guys notice that as we read verses 1 through 4? Um, you can't really pause as much, right? There's no periods there. It's all one sentence. This whole thing is just the beginning, uh, a huge sentence all, all together of this introduction to the book of Luke. And notice in verse 1, <clears throat> Luke is actually confirming the gospel or validating the gospel really in four different ways within each verse right here. Let me show you guys this. Uh, really, that the gospel is true, right? Look at verse 1. Many people, right? So, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative. So, in other words, many people wrote about Jesus as well, right? This is a common thing back then. In verse 2... Um, another thing that validates the gospel or confirms that it's true is, well, there was lots of eyewitnesses to the gospel accounts as well. Uh, Luke was not only the only um, person who did it. By the way, Luke was not an apostle. Did you guys know that? Um, I like to tell, what's, who's the 12 apostles? And they're like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? <laughs> No, he wasn't part of the 12. Um, but he didn't see these things firsthand like they did, based off of what we read right here in verse 2, because it says in verse 2, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, delivered them to us. Us, meaning I'm part of them as well, right? Of, of us. So he knew based on the word delivered to him. And we know the gospel is true because there were many eyewitnesses that testify to it, right? So look at verse 3. It says, It seemed good to me, so Luke, also having had perfect understanding 
of all things from the very first, right, that he wrote this to, to us. But notice he had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. This was an orderly account of the gospel. And God gave him a perfect understanding of a few things about the gospel. Does that sound right when you're reading this verse? No. As you read verse 3, God gave him a perfect understanding of 90% of the things, right? Hold on, let's ask the Jesus seminar, right? Guys, how many words of Jesus are actually true? Oh, we think it's like 10% are actually true and the rest is, you know, false. What? <laughs> if you go to the way that the world, they're going to tell you all this silliness. But as you read the, the simple word of God, you begin to learn a lot of stuff, right? So let's just look at the word itself. Luke had a perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, right? So he gives us an orderly account. Fourth, look at verse four, that you may know the certainty, right? So the, the, the firmness, the concrete of those things in which you were instructed. So there is certainty in the gospel. There is it is affirmed, right? It is sure, and it is true. And so we can, we can know that the word of God, the gospel, is true. So let's look at the events prior to the birth of John the Baptist, by the way, in verses 5 through 25. It's, and let's see the parents of John the Baptist. It says in verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the, the king of Judah... A certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. By the way, this is uh, King Herod the Great, right? He was a horrible ruler. He made some pretty awesome places, but he was a horrible ruler. Uh, but Zacharias, notice it says in a certain priest, Zacharias, right? So he's a priest. His name means remembered by God. And he was a Jewish priest of the line of Aaron, right? Aaron, uh, Moses' brother. And, but notice it says, of the division of Abijah. Interesting, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I probably am. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 24, verses 3 all the way to verse 16, the priesthood was divided back then into 24 divisions. And each division, or family, if you will, um, would perform, perform different uh, duties uh, in the temple for their uh, really typical time was like two weeks. They would each one they would take turns, but each for two weeks they would perform all the duties there in the temple, and then they would switch with the next family and the next, and so and so. So uh, very interesting. But so here you have Zacharias assigned at this time for a reason and for a purpose, right? The exact time that God wanted him to be right there in the temple uh, doing the duties that he's got to do. And, and Zacharias, his wife was Elizabeth, which her name means promised of God. Promised of God. Both of John the Baptist's parents here are of the line of the priesthood, which is very interesting. Um, but look at verse 6. It says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wow, is that cool? They are both righteous before the Lord, and they're blameless. This is your 
This is like, this is like, it's, that's awesome. I love that. I don't even know how to describe that. You know, you watch TV and you're like, whoa, that's a perfect family. They never argue at each other. You know, imagine both the husband and the wife perfect they're righteous together nobody they were blameless in the sense where nobody can say oh you broke a command of God nobody could point the finger at them because they were blameless they're above reproach uh, in their walk with the Lord uh, uh, in front of the people so as parents too by the way I think we need to take heed to that truth and how they were blameless we need to be blameless uh, in the eyes of our own children as well Um, but look at verse 7 it says, but, as, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So they were both old and without kids, right? Verse 8, and so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And so the hour of incense uh, was really twice a day. According to Exodus chapter 30, uh, the priest would light a candle, you know, and the, the and the smoke would just go up, right? They're, they're, they're lighting the incense there, and it's just going straight up to the heavens. And as it was going to the heavens, the people would wait for this moment. This was twice a day. And, and whether it was, you know, whenever it began to go up, that was the beginning of their, the children of Israel, their prayers to the Lord. Because they believed as they were praying, that as the incense was going up to heaven, so too were their pr- prayers being captured up. Uh, that's that's uh, outside of the Bible um, spoken of. But let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So this angel we'll see in verse 19 coming up right now. It's going to be Gabriel. Now, the other angel given in the Bible, his name is Michael, of course. There's Lucifer, if you want to count that guy. I don't want to count him, so let's just delete that guy. But Michael, right? And, and then, so Michael's the warrior angel, but as we see Gabriel, whenever he pops up on the scene, he's more of a messenger, right? He's always got a message to give. And Gabriel's the messenger angel, and he tells not only... Um, uh, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth right here, they're going to have a baby. He tells Mary and Joseph that they're going to have a baby. In fact, in, in Daniel chapter 8, he told Daniel about the vision, right, the dream that he had about the um, the goat and was it the ram, I think it was. But So he's appearing throughout scriptures, right? But he has a message here. And now here he is, and he's going to speak to Zacharias here. Look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, right? The Lord is gracious. That's his name, the meaning of his name. So how long Zacharias was praying for a son, for a child 
We have no clue, right? But I can imagine, okay, how old is Zacharias at this age, right? Well, it's just said that they're both old, right? So what is old? I think we would all agree it's 30 years old, right? That's pretty old. No, I'm just joking. I don't know what old is. I'm not going to attempt to get there. You guys are going to throw something at me. But let's just say the minimum amount of years is 50 years, right? Let's say he got married when he was a teenager. So let's say he's up there, I don't know, whatever it may be. But imagine if it was at a minimum of 50 years, he was praying, him and his wife, continually for a child. Even at their old age, they were still praying. And the angel says, your prayer. So this was one burden that they had, if you will, that they were bringing before the Lord. Then it was one thing that they kept requesting of the Lord. And, and, uh, and you can tell by the, the, the terminology here that it was something big that they were bringing to the Lord. So I think it's important that we keep on praying, that we keep on continually seeking the Lord. And, and the Lord will answer in time. Sometimes it's uh, not always the time we want it to be, but it's perfect timing uh, for the Lord and the exact time he wants to speak to you, whether it's yes, no, or wait, whatever it might be, but he answers, right? And it's in his timing. And by the way, guys, never give up praying. Never give up praying for a child as well. If it's for human beings, if it's for those who want to uh, have an abortion or whatever it may be, these are things that ought to burden us. These are things that ought to continually keep us in prayer and seeking the Lord on, on behalf of his people and especially if it's for a child, right? If it's for another person and their salvation, that is worthy to bring before the altar of the Lord, right? And, and in a sense of a prayer, right? And just giving it to the Lord. And I think that's a sweet aroma to the Lord, right? As he hears our prayer, I think he's pleased, right? That we, his children, are burdened over the things that he's burdened for as well. This is the nature of God. This is the Holy Spirit within us, by the way, uh, bearing with our spirit, giving us the words, the utterance, if you will, to speak forth unto the Lord the things that he's called us to seek him in. So continue to pray, guys. Never give up. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, and by the way, what does that show if you continually pray and seek the Lord over, you know, salvation or whatever it might be? It shows your dependency upon the Lord, right? It, it, that's what it shows. Well, should I keep on telling the Lord over and over? I mean, it's not biblical that, you know, we should continually pray the same thing because, you know, after all, you don't have faith if that's the case. If you have to tell God again, right? Well, Tell that to Paul, who continually prayed continually for the church, right? And was burdened for the church. Pray, talk, talk about Jesus, right? He, why would you go back and pray again in the garden, Jesus? I mean, come on. We could fall asleep. You already prayed. Let it be. No, he went back three times. Over and over, I could give you an example after example. But so it's, it, it's biblical. Continue to seek the Lord, right? And hand it to the Lord. Let's look at the promises regarding John. Look at it in verses 14 through 17. It says in verse 14, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Um, now, why would so many be rejoicing at his birth? This is interesting, right? Because John would point to Christ, right? Revealing 
really the Messiah to the whole world. According to the Old Testament, the, the Messiah would redeem mankind. And uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, right? That's what John said. And that would cause me to rejoice that here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Not only has he forgiven us, Psalm 103, but he's forgotten our sins. I mean, is that not enough to rejoice, right? Amen, amen. So uh, notice in verse 15, it says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Amen, that's what my heart is. I want to be, I could care less about being great in the eyes of man, right? That's a danger zone to me. If you're famous in the eyes of man, huh, right? I'd rather be famous in the eyes of God, right? And great in the eyes of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Very interesting. John would do great things for the Lord since he was set apart for the Lord. Right. So just like Samson, you guys remember, he took that Nazarite vow. Um, he couldn't drink strong wine uh, or, or anything wine. Right. In Numbers chapter six, it was given to those who want to be separated, who want to be set apart for the Lord. And so that they would do great things in return onto the Lord. Do you want to do great things for the Lord? Right? That's the vow. That was the idea of taking this vow, of staying, abstaining from the things of the world. Why? Because, well, I want to do great things for the Lord. I want to honor the Lord with my life. Right? So they would stay away from the things that would hinder their mindsets or their body, or they wanted it to be, that's the word holy, by the way, set apart. So um, we need to be set apart for the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, it says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. That's a promise. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? So John was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born, lucky guy. <laughs> I read this stuff and I'm like, man, that guy. But at the moment of salvation for us, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? He's come upon us and he comes upon us to what? To empower us to become witnesses for him, right? About Jesus. And he enables us, uh, the, the gifts that he's given to us, right? It's the enabling of the Holy Spirit in us, but he empowers those gifts within our life to go forth and proclaim the gospel for uh, his calling, right? He's, he's, that's, that's what he's doing and he, he's, he has for us. Um, but notice verse 16. It says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. So what a ministry John had, right? To point people to Jesus. I mean, what an honor. And he's telling people about Jesus. That's what we're called to do as well. That's the will of God for our lives. Always, hey, what do I do? Well, go to Jesus. All right, what do I do about this? Well, have you prayed about it? <laughs> That's why I love my job. It's like, well, what do you think? Well, the Bible says. <laughs> That's all you do all day, right? Well, what do you think? I don't know. Well, the Bible says that I shouldn't, you know? It just continually point them to the word, right? 
continually point them to Jesus. And I love that about, about, uh, about John here. Look at verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know? Oh, here we go. So we, we see the problem already happening right here. You guys kind of sensing this? Here's the problem of John's father, Zacharias, and it's unbelief. It says again, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Right? Question mark. For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Well, obviously he knew about Abraham and Sarah, right? And it's the same thing kind of happening again right here. But notice he says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So Zacharias could not speak until John would be born. Why? Because of his unbelief. And notice in verse 18, by the way, Zacharias, he calls himself an old man, right? But then he calls him his wife, right? He's not going to say the same thing. He said, no, she's, but, and she's well advanced in years, right? He's a wise guy, right? I like that about this man. But this, I was going to say a joke, an old, I, I no jokes right there about old people. I'm not going to do it. But, but, so let's go on. But anyways, about this angel, it, it, it appears out of nowhere, right? So here's Zacharias, he's doing his, his, you know, the incense, right? Twice a day, and he's called to come out here, and he's, he's, he's starting to do it. All of a sudden, he looks, uh, and, and that right there, boom, the angel's just right there. And how cool is that? That happens to mankind. Angels appear and disappear, right? They're able to take on human form, and then, poof, right? This is something only God knows how to do it, but he's let them in on it. And even Jesus, right? When he came back in the resurrected body, came right through the wall, and there he is in flesh. Touch, Thomas, go ahead, right? And that's just so cool about the Bible. Anyways, this is stuff that I, I look at, and I'm like, wow, how neat is that? But this angel appears out of nowhere, tells this old man that he's going to have a son. His name is going to be John, right? And, and now Zacharias is in disbelief. Well, Jesus said in Matthew, um, oh, you guys probably already read it. There it was. Matthew nineteen twenty six. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I think there's something that we need to take to heart about Jesus, knowing that there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Nothing. If you're going through a tough time, if you're going through anything, always reflect and look back at how awesome the Lord is. Is he not in control? Is he not the creator of all things? Right? The more we see him, look at how tiny your little problem seems. Look, it's so cute. It's good. Oh, it's gone, right? It's not even there. Why? Because you're looking how awesome and mighty the Lord is, and he's, he's great. Um, but we look at our problems in light of the physical instead of looking at them in light of, well, by faith, right? That's how we're to see things, by faith. And everything is possible when we look at the power of God, and, and, and he's in charge of every realm, spiritual, physical. Second uh, Corinthians 4, verse 17, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us 
a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Right? So I just, I love that. Look at verse 21. Go back to 21. It says, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Maybe, I don't know. I know, I know, I remember when the, the priests would go in, especially to the Holy of Holies, right? And, and if they had sin within their heart, and what would they do? They would drop dead. Dunk. And everybody would be like, uh, I'm not going to go in after him. You go in. I'm not going to go in. I don't know how they got figured that out, right, and how they got them out. But what they did is they probably thought about it before it happened, and they began to tie a rope on the priest on their leg, right, as they're wearing all this stuff, right? And, and, and they would walk in there, and if they heard a, oh, Pull, pull him out, right? Let's get him. <laughs> oh, man, that guy had sin in his heart, and here he is praying for us. But So maybe they had him tied on a rope, and maybe they're tugging it, right? And he's like, oh, I better go out there. <laughs> I would be in just, my brain would be all like, whoa, I don't even care who's waiting for me. And then all of a sudden, oh, 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 yeah. Okay, here we go. Going out there, right? And so he goes out. Look at verse 22. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. What? Look at verse 23. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So he continued on. Uh, however long it took for him to complete the service uh, that he was doing and doing the incense and stuff, which is pretty cool. The people were waiting for him to come out and give really the, 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 the typical uh, blessing is what they were waiting for. And that comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 25, which says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto thee. Right? We sing that. Um, should we sing the song, guys? It makes me want to sing when I read these verses. But coming out to the people, Zacharias was unable to minister to the people and the reason, the cause, is what? Disbelief. He wasn't able to minister because he didn't believe. And I, I look at the church today, and I wonder how many people who are getting up before podiums, before people, and they're unable to minister, they're able to elaborate the scriptures, if, if that, but there's no unction, if you will. There's no, the Holy Spirit's not moving upon them. The Holy Spirit's not ministering to the people, and thus the people are, there's just this deadness. Have you guys ever been to a church where it's just like, right? <laughs> you're like, where is that, right? But, but, but it's the word going forth. I mean, how can that happen? But it's biblical. It's interesting. But this happens a lot in ministry. There's, there's people that have doubt in their hearts, right? And, and it's very, very scary. But when we walk by faith, you're just naturally going to minister to the Lord. And as you're ministering to the Lord, the Lord's naturally going to minister to his people, right? And, and it's so cool how the Lord can do that. But let's look at the perfect timing for John. Let's continue here. We got 80 verses, guys. Do you think we'll get through it tonight? <sighs> All right, here we go. 
Verse 24, it says, Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And so, wow. So why did she hide herself for five months? I have no clue. But John was born in the perfect timing according to the Lord. The Lord knew exact he knew the exact day he wanted John to be born, right? And not onto man's timing, right? Because man is saying, uh, we're pretty advanced in age. We're old. <laughs> well, she's advanced, but I'm old, right? And and but man's timing is, Lord, this is impossible. But with the Lord, nothing's impossible, right? So John was born in perfect timing, and we just need we need to wait on the Lord. And this always brings me back to Proverbs three, five, and six, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall. His This is a promise, direct your paths, right? So let's look at the events leading up to Jesus Christ now. In verses 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the parents of Jesus is Joseph and Mary, right? And Gabriel was sent to Galilee, which is a region of several uh, cities. And one of those cities is Nazareth. That's the city that Jesus grew up in. And remember, Jesus was, he wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born where? In Bethlehem. Um, And you guys remember King Herod was trying to kill all the babies at that time. So what happened? Joseph took Mary and Jesus and he fled to Egypt. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, said, get back in the land, the promised land, right? So they went back, but they didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Nazareth. And so they went back to really the, their hometown, Joseph and Mary. And as they went to the hometown, really what they were doing is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, by the way. They went back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, what he shall be called a Nazarene. Right, So notice Joseph came from the line of David, by the way. Just to throw that out here. Isaiah 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his, his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Right? And, and it was prophecy that Jesus would come from the line of David. But he can't come through the line of Joseph. And I'll explain that. Joseph, notice in verse 27, by the way, he was betrothed. Right? He was meant to marry Mary. Mary, Mary, yeah. He is know what I'm saying, right? I'm from Arizona. Those things come out of me sometimes. But so in other words, it wasn't official yet, right? It was the, uh, the weddings were different, right? So it wasn't, uh, oh, what's that word? Consummated, right? So it wasn't finished yet. So 
Now, Joseph, he comes from the line of David in, in which the Messiah would come, right? And that's what we just read in Isaiah 11, uh, verse 1. So, however, there's a problem. And the problem is that from King David through the royal line of King Solomon, from which came 20 kings of Judah, uh, during the divided kingdom, uh, there was a blood curse pronounced on all the kings that would come from King Solomon. And it was the 19th king of Judah, and his name was Jehoiakim, or Coniah, right? And so in Jeremiah 22, there was a blood curse because of his evilness. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, it says, Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Wow. So, wow. This becomes a problem since the Messiah is supposed to sit on the throne of David. So how is that going to be possible that the Messiah sits on the throne of David if it was just pronounced on this guy, right? So this would mean that Joseph cannot be the biological father of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus was uh, adopted, in a sense, into the royal line of King David, right? So uh, Matthew chapter 1, it gives us the genealogy of, of David, right? But this brings us to Mary. In Luke chapter 1, look at verse 27. Again, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And in Luke chapter 3, we get the genealogy of the line of Mary, who is a descendant of King David. And, and Joseph came through the line of King Solomon. And so, but Mary came through David's other son, Nathan. Right? Do I get a little pointer right here? Yep. So you guys get the point. Oh, I messed it up. Never mind. There we go. Okay. I don't have it. But, so in other words, Jesus came from the bloodline of King David, right? He was adopted into the royal line of King David in, in that sense, right? Of the king. So thus fulfilling prophecy. And so let's look at the proclamation regarding Jesus. Note it, go back, to look at verse 28. It says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when, he, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Right? And well, I guess we could stop there. Mary's not only a virgin at this time, but she is blessed among women, right? Elizabeth, being filled with the Holy Spirit, tells her the same thing, by the way, in verses 42. Uh, she says that you're, you know, blessed among women in verse 42. And, but God also had favor upon her. And Look at verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Oh, Jehovah is salvation. That's what Jesus' name means, right? So there is no other name given among men, right, that we have that, that, that leads to salvation or even has power in any other name. This is the only name 
given to us from heaven that we have that has power for salvation, right? Um, and eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other name. You name Muhammad, Allah, blah, 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 blah. I don't care who you name. It's only through Jesus that we can have eternal life. And I hear this all the time, right? You hear so-and-so said we can have eternal life. This person said, but what does the Bible say? It's only through Jesus Christ, right? So don't be deceived. Peter understood that in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So, Look, look at verse 34. And then Mary said to the angel, um, wait, go to 32. It says, he'll be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Uh, very interesting. Remember, Mary was only betrothed, right, to Joseph at the time, but not completely married yet. And look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, I love that. This birth would work, be a work of the spirit and not a work of the flesh, right? He uses Elizabeth as an example, by the way, in verse 36. It says in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who, has, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible, Right, verse 38, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, that let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. So Mary believed and lived her life, right, knowing that she was pregnant already. She believed to the fact that God said it, there it is, it's, it is what it is, right? She has the Son of God living within her at that moment, which is, that's pretty neat, um, what seems impossible to man is possible for God. Mary understood it all belonged to the Lord, right? And said, let it be done, right? Let it be your will, Lord, whatever it is, uh, let it be. Uh, so let's look at the pronouncement of Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. It says, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, this is great. Not only was John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, right? Uh, but in verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. The moment she heard Mary's voice, boom. Jesus was in her, right? She heard the voice, the sound, boom. The Holy Spirit came upon her, the epi, right? She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the church, by the way, 
you might be thinking in your head, wait, Acts chapter 2, that's when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, right, for the first time. So the Holy Spirit's falling upon John and upon Elizabeth. And so what's going on here? I thought it all happened in Acts chapter 2. No, um, yes, on the day of Pentecost, that's when it happened there in the upper room when they were praying and seeking the Lord. But so Elizabeth received the Holy Spirit just like King David received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And many others, by the way, in the Old Testament received the Holy Spirit. But the, the reason they received the Holy Spirit was always for a purpose. It was always for a task at that time that they had, that the, 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 the Holy Spirit came upon them. Even Samson realized that the very last bit of his life, right? He's going to die. Lord, give me, give me your spirit. He understood the power came from the Lord. And what do you know? That jawbone took out a whole bunch, right? And it was the Holy So over and over throughout the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit coming upon a lot of them. So it's very interesting. But we, we've been given the Holy Spirit today, and for the reason was for power, that's why we've been given the Holy Spirit today, for power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, and that's what we're called to do, right? We've been given power for the sake of being witnesses to the Lord. And so now we're no longer working in the power of the flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Are you guys still awake? This kind of gets me all like, yes, right? Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's nothing that we can conjure up in and of our own flesh. It's something that we wait on the Lord. If he wants to do the work in and through us, then we are his witnesses according to his power in and through our lives, right? And thus we go, right? And we proclaim the gospel. And so look at verse 42. It says, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, it says, As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And it says, Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of her from the Lord. This is the reason, by the way, that Mary was so blessed among, and well, and favored by the Lord as well, right? Only because she had faith in the Lord. She believed on the Lord. It was because she believed the Lord that that's the reason she was so blessed, according to scripture. You'll always be blessed when you believe in the Lord, right? You come on to the Lord, you're going to be blessed. And let's come to the praise of Mary regarding Jesus in verses 46 through 55. Um, it says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in, my, in God my Savior, Let's just stop right there. Mary obviously was not perfect and sinless, okay? This upsets a lot of people. What? What are you all? What does the Bible say? That's all I care about. I don't care what the other people say. What does the Bible say? She wasn't perfect. She wasn't sinless. She realized she needed a Savior because she was a sinner just like you and I. She was just as human as you and I. 
right? And she also realized that she was nothing. Look at verse 48. It says, for he was, has regarded the lowly states. She realizes how lowly she is of his maidservant. She's a lowly maidservant is what she says right here. And notice in verse, uh, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I love that. Um, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He, notice all the he's here, by the way, in verse 51 and 52. He has uh, put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So Mary understood it had nothing to do with her, but everything to do with God, right? And if God chooses us to, in any way, guys, we can't take credit for it, right? As if we are anything. If God wanted to use us for a specific time, then praise the Lord for that, right? Mary easily, she could have taken credit for it as well, but instead she chose to be humble, right? In verse 56, Mary was a servant, and what was she doing? She was serving Elizabeth, who was advanced in years. She easily could have said, Elizabeth, I'm so sorry. I know you're old and everything, but you know what? I got God in my stuff. I got to go, right? I mean, this is God, right? This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. I mean, I got enough excuse, and sure enough, she had an excuse, right? She could have, but instead of going back and living in royalty, right? And being like, God's coming, guys. Hey, go get me that. You go get me this. Go get me that. What was she doing? She's saying, let me go get this for you. Let me go get that for you. You sit right there. Let me go get that. You want some water? Let me go get it for you, right? So nope, she didn't, she didn't do it. She was humble, right? And she was able to minister to someone else in the midst of being used by God, in the midst of the calling of God. What was she caught doing? Ministering to others. How cool is that? right? So, man, I just, I'm, I'm excited about this. But let's go on. The birth of John. Look at verse 57. It says, now Elizabeth, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, right? Not showing judgment. That's what mercy means. They rejoiced with her. So remember Zacharias, he became mute because of his disbelief, right? And, but when God promises something, it's always going to come to pass, whether you believe it or not, right? It's going to come to pass. And no matter how impossible the circumstance may be, God granted her mercy simply because, well, he loved her. That's it. It wasn't because of her trying to accomplish something for God, it was because God just said he loved her, and thus he showed mercy upon her, right? So let's look at the naming of John here. Look at verse 50, um, 
59, it says, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. And so, but they, they, uh, so by the way, guys, circumcision was given by God to the children of Israel so that they would be set apart from the whole world, right? That would make them set apart for, for the Lord. But it was on the eighth day that God said to do it. And then eight, by the way, is the number of new beginnings. Eight, eight days when a child is born, on the eighth day, that's when vitamin K starts to kick in and everything. So physically, um, it just, it's very interesting, all of the, the, the symbolic stuff there. But, but uh, look, at, look at on uh, verse 62 or 61. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked, right, so he's sign language right here, for a writing, for an iPad, right, a tablet. No, not an iPad, stop it. Um, and wrote saying, his name is John. And so they all marveled. And immediately, well, let's just slow down. Zacharias, he used, right, he signs to them. He wrote down what, and he explained to them what the angel Gabriel had said, his name shall be John, right? And notice these parents, they went against the culture of the time. Are you guys catching this? Right? All the neighbors, they come, they're rejoicing, but they're like, no, what do you mean? Just, no, it's not John. Zacharias, speak up for your wife, right? I mean, she's crazy. What do you say it is? And then he begins to explain, no, it's John. I don't care about the culture. And that's kind of the idea here. They were in obedient to the Lord in spite of what the culture was saying in the day they were living in. I think we need to take heed to this. We always need to obey the Lord above all else, right, above the majority of the people, the popularity vote, above Facebook posts, above, right, you guys go, that's the way the new generation is coming up, they don't know better, they don't know history, they don't know right from wrong, all they know is statistics, and majority vote, and what, you know, social media is saying to them, all they know is, Google, what do you think, right, and it's very, very scary, and that's why we need to teach the younger generation, but we need to stand in the gap as believers to continue to Bring forth the word of God. And that's what we're doing right now, right? We're going verse by verse through the word. But let's look at the the praise because of John. And we're not going to finish this, but we'll see how far we can get. It says in verse 64, it says, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God, right? So after nine months of not being able to talk, his first words are used to praise the Lord. And they had been praying for the majority of their life, right, for a child, and God answered their prayer, and he grants them a son. And guys, don't forget to praise the Lord, by the way, when God grants you and he answers your prayer, right? When you're, you're asking the Lord for something, don't neglect to praise the Lord. Make that a part of your, your list there. Look at verse 65. It says, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all, so they were in all, right? And all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. John the Baptist was going to grow up being one of the greatest whoever was born. 
right, among men here on this earth. And if you want to become great, what did Jesus say? You want to become great? Then you got to be the servants of all. Do you guys still want to become great, right? You got to be the servants of all. Do you want to be great? There it is. So John the Baptist, he would turn the hearts of Israel to the Lord, right? And that's what we're called to do as well. We're called just to turn the hearts of man by pointing them to Jesus and allowing him to change the heart of man. So God was working in and through John and it was by the hand of the Lord. Did you guys catch that? Look at the end of verse 66. So by the hand of the Lord, and Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So, amen. Let's finish with prophecy regarding John. Um, It says in verse 67, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So let's stop right there. Back in verse 41, you guys remember, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. And now, here in verse 67, guess who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Now the husband, right? Uh, Zacharias. So very, very interesting what's happening here. Uh, The whole family is just filled with the Holy Spirit. But he begins to prophesy, and he says in verse 68, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn, or strength, right, of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been uh, since the world began. Uh, Let's pause right there. So all the Old Testament prophets, they speak of and they point to the Messiah. John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. He's the last of all the Old Testament prophets. Um, But And Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5, 17, he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, but I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, right? So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. In fact, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Did you guys know in Hebrews ten seven it says, uh, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, Jesus says. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Did you guys know that? Uh, praise the Lord for that. Look at verse 71. It says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, right back in Genesis 12, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham and to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So the Messiah would come to deliver them, not from what the Jews thought at the time, from the Romans, right, from the bondage of the Romans, but from the bondage of sin, death, and hell. Jesus would come and deliver them from, right? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is 
written, Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So you can't be saved by the things of this world, uh, but by what he has given, that's of himself, right? He's given himself for you and I. In verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So we serve the Lord uh, because we love him, right? We Really, there's nothing else we can give him. And look at verse 20, 76. It says, and you, child, right, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. So this is the attitude he's going to have with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John will show people to repent of their sins that they might be forgiven. And that's the calling that the Lord has for you and I today. Amen, church? There's a lot there. We'll, we'll pick up uh, the next couple of weeks here in, in Luke chapter 2 and see how far we get from there. But let's stand and, and uh, let's, let's pray and give it to the Lord. Oh, Lord, there's a lot here. <laughs> 80 verses, Lord. I, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us to understand your word, Lord, that you would uh, allow our brains to go back and, and, and look back at your word and uh, really absorb the things that you're teaching us here, Lord, that we might know them, uh, be confident in knowing that the gospel is sure, that it is, it is true. And uh, I pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts, Lord, to have a passion uh, for serving you, Lord, to, to love you, Lord, to offer up our lives, Lord, to, to serve those around us as well. I pray that you would bless the husbands of this church and the wives of this church, that they would be submitting to one another, uh, in the fear of you, Father, and that you would just uh, watch over your people, Lord, in all that we do, whether we go to work, whether we go wherever we go, uh, that we would be honoring to you an example, a light uh, to this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. His manifestation to Israel. So John will show people to repent of their sins that they might be forgiven. And that's the calling that the Lord has for you and I today. Amen, church? There's a lot there. We'll, we'll pick up uh, the next couple of weeks here in, in Luke chapter 2 and see how far we get from there. But let's stand and, and uh, let's, let's pray and give it to the Lord. Oh, Lord, there's a lot here. <laughs> 80 verses, Lord. I, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us to understand your word, Lord, that you would uh, allow our brains to go back and, and, and look back at your word and uh, really absorb the things that you're teaching us here, Lord, that we might know them, uh, be confident in knowing that the gospel is sure, that it is, it is true. And uh, I pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts, Lord, to have a passion uh, for serving you, Lord, to, to love you, Lord, to offer up our lives, 
Lord, to, to serve those around us as well. I pray that you would bless the husbands of this church and the wives of this church, that they would be submitting to one another uh, in the fear of you, Father, and that you would just uh, watch over your people, Lord, in all that we do, whether we go to work, whether we go wherever we go, uh, that we would be honoring to you an example, a light uh, to this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.